0: I've always been fascinated by the last words of famous people because it kind of gives you, you know, a glimpse into their soul, what kind of person they were, uh, what they were thinking about near the end. So I've got some examples I want to share this morning. Ethan Allen was a general in the American Revolution. And as he was nearing death, he had a doctor attending to him. And the doctor said, General, the angels are waiting for you. Ethan Allen responded, waiting? Waiting, are they? Well, let them wait. (laughs) Karl Marx, the father of communism, said to his housekeeper, who had just asked him for his last words because she wanted to record them for posterity, Marx yelled, get out. Last words are for fools who haven't said enough. So those became his last words. Steve Jobs, the co-founder of Apple, famously said, oh, wow oh wow oh wow and listen to hollywood actress joan crawford as crawford's housekeeper was praying for her near her deathbed crawford swore at her and then said don't you dare ask god to help me can you imagine and finally one unnamed husband said honey those jeans look a little tight (laughs) those became his last words well, my name's Gary. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm so glad uh, that you're with us this weekend. We're starting a brand new series called Gold from Golgotha. Seven last words Jesus made as he hung dying on the cross. And if you grew up in church, the word Golgotha is probably something you might be with, you know, familiar with. You've heard it before. Golgotha is an Aramaic word that describes the hill where Jesus was crucified. It literally means skull or the place of the skull. And according to the New Testament, Golgotha would have been outside the city walls of Jerusalem. It would have been very visible for people who were walking by. We've likely never envisioned the crowd large enough that was around Jesus' crucifixion because this was all happening during the Jewish holiday of Passover. And one ancient historian said that as many as one million people would show up to celebrate the Passover holiday. So, when Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem, tens of thousands of people were in the city. Hundreds of thousands more were camped out all around. And this is why what is written on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, was written in three different languages, because there would have been thousands and thousands of people passing by, all speaking different languages. We've seen the pictures, we've watched the movies. Jesus was beaten, then whipped so brutally by the Roman guards that his back would have been shredded. The Roman guards would have used what's called the cat of nine tails. The cat of nine tails is made of these long straps of leather, but fastened at the very end are pieces of metal and glass and bone so that when the Roman guard would have whipped the back of Jesus, it would have stuck And then when he pulled back, it would literally rip pieces of flesh off the back. Oftentimes so awful that your internal organs were exposed. Jesus was mocked, repeatedly punched. His beard was torn from his face. A crown of thorns pushed down on his head. And he was stripped naked so that he would experience ultimate humiliation then they crucified him. It is arguably the most painful death ever invented by humans. It's where we get our term excruciating. And it was reserved primarily for the most vicious of criminals. The Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but they sure did perfect it. Around the time of Jesus and the Roman occupation of Israel, it is estimated the Romans crucified at least 30,000 Jews. And they always did it in highly visible areas, around busy highways, to help keep their empire under control, basically saying, if you mess around with Rome, this is what will happen to you. Crucifixion is a horribly slow, torturous death. Jesus would have been experiencing all kinds of trauma, nerve pain like fire coursing throughout his body, the throbbing and and cramping in his arms and legs that were created by the nails and the contorted position on the cross that he was forced into, of course, loss of blood and unbearable pressure on the heart and lungs. It would have been nearly impossible for him to breathe, and the only way that he could breathe is by pushing up on his legs so that he could somehow open up his lungs just to be able to exhale for a few seconds. And yet, all the while, that up-and-down motion, being able to breathe, would mean rubbing his lacerated back up and down the wood of the cross. And it's from this scene, Jesus, the Son of God, speaks to you and me with Great physical effort, out of unspeakable pain, gasping with his final breaths, these golden words from Golgotha. Gallup did a poll several years ago asking, what word or phrase would you most want sincerely said to you? Now, it should come as no shock that the the phrase most people would want sincerely said to them is, I love you. In fact, if you're sitting next to someone you love right now, I'm going to give you a moment here in just a second. I want you to say, I love you. And if you don't know the person sitting next to you, just say, what's up? (laughs) So number one was, I love you. What do you think number two was? I forgive you. Isn't that interesting? Ernest Hemingway in his short story, The Capital of the World, tells about a father and his teenage son in Spain. The son had sinned against his father and in his shame ran away from home and now the father is searching all over Spain trying to find him, but he can't find him. Finally, in the city of Madrid, in a last desperate attempt to find his son, the father places an ad in the daily newspaper that read, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montaña noon Tuesday. All is forgiven. Papa. That night, the father prayed that maybe the boy would see the ad and maybe, just maybe, he would come to the Hotel Montaña. The very next morning, the father arrived at the hotel and he couldn't believe his eyes because a squadron of police officers had been called out to keep order among the 800 young boys named Paco who had come to meet their father. 800 boys named Paco had read the ad in the newspaper and hoped it was for them. 800 Pacos had come to receive the forgiveness they so desperately needed but didn't think was possible. Everybody wants to hear the words, I love you, but as Hemingway's story makes so incredibly clear, everybody desperately needs to hear, I forgive you. If you have your Bibles with you today or your phone or a device, I encourage you to open up to the Gospel of Luke, It'll be on the screens as well. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Our main thought this weekend is simply this. All can be forgiven. If this is your first time in church or your first time in a long time, I'm so glad you're here because I want you to hear this. But more importantly than that, I want you to believe this. All can be forgiven. In Luke 23, verse 32, Luke describes the scene. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him, talking about Jesus. And when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes, by throwing dice. Wow. All can be forgiven. Do you believe that? If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus wants you and me to hear that from him. Jesus wants you and me to hear that from him. He wants us to know that forgiveness is available. My greatest need is forgiveness. Your greatest need is forgiveness because to enter eternity unforgiven is the difference between heaven and hell. Now, before we go any further, when we were reading that verse, there are two little words that that Luke captures and and they seem so inconsequential, but here's what's so important. I never knew this. The Greek verb Jesus uses in the verses that we just read is in the ongoing tense. So what Luke is telling us is that when it says Jesus said, what, what is really being communicated is that Jesus kept on saying what he had been saying before. Father forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We don't know when it started. Maybe it started in, in the garden when they arrested him. Maybe it was when Jesus was going through the mockery of a trial. Maybe it's when the first Roman guard unleashed the, the cat of nine tails on his back. But Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Maybe it was when they pulled out Jesus' beard by the roots. Or when they pushed that crown of thorn onto his head or as the soldiers pounded the nails into his hands and feet. But Jesus just kept on saying, Father, forgive them. 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about this scene when he said in Isaiah 52, But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. Jesus is being so brutalized here that he doesn't even look human anymore. And he's crying out to his father, but he's not crying out for help for himself. No, he's praying for those who are torturing him. He's praying for those who are brutalizing him. He's praying for them. Isaiah prophesied about that as well in Isaiah 53, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession. He prayed for the transgressors. Father, oh Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. There are several Greek words that can be translated forgive, so it's so interesting that the word Jesus uses here for forgive doesn't mean to forget, or to wipe out, or to blot out, or or to erase, although those are certainly meanings that we could use for the word forgive, but that's not the intent of the word Jesus uses. In fact, the word isn't even always translated forgive. A couple of different places in the New Testament, this very same word is used, and it means to leave alone. Jesus Himself uses it in Matthew 19. You might remember the story where the little children are are trying to get to Jesus, and the disciples are, you know, kind of holding them back, stopping them, and Jesus says, Don't don't stop the children from, from coming to me. Let them come, leave them alone. You see what's happening here? I I never saw this before. What Jesus is communicating to his Father is leave them alone. Father, leave them alone. Don't don't condemn them, condemn me. I know somebody has to pay for their sin. I'll pay. I'll pay. If you grew up hearing this story as a kid like I did, please don't let this feel so familiar. Experience the reality that's unfolding here. Our God is an awesome God. The author of Hebrews describes him as an all-consuming fire. He is holy, he is just, he is good, and he loves the Son. But he cannot tolerate wickedness and sin forever. He is too holy for that. And yes, of course, from eternity past, the Father and the Son had this plan where Jesus would come to earth and he would give himself as a sacrifice for the people of this planet. But don't for one minute think that as it was happening, as they beat him and mocked him and brutalized him, that God the Father, in all of his holiness and in all of his justice and power, was just kind of watching that indifferently. No, God the Father loves the Son. If you're a parent here today, maybe you've you've had this experience where you're off in the distance, but you're watching your child and you see somebody start to pick on them or somebody start to treat them unkindly, and something just starts to rise up in us, right? I can imagine God the Father ready to pour out his wrath on those who were mistreating his son this way, and that's why Jesus prays, Father, leave them alone. Leave them alone. Send away your wrath. Send it away for now. Condemn me. I'll pay. I know someone has to pay for their sin." I'll pay. So, Jesus wants you and me to know. He wants you and me to believe that because of what He has done, He has paid the price. He has paid our debt. All can be forgiven. But what about the second part of that prayer? They don't know what they're doing. Seems a bit odd, right? Seems a bit naive. It seems to me the people that were killing Jesus knew exactly what they were doing. Judas knew he was innocent. The Jewish leaders knew he was innocent. Pilate knew he was innocent. The Roman guards, they didn't probably even care if he was innocent or not, but they certainly knew what they were doing. And the people standing there watching, they knew what they were doing. Why is Jesus praying this? because they didn't know they were crucifying the son of the living God. They didn't know they were the ones he was dying for. Years ago I was learning to play a card game called hand and foot And one of the people that helped me to to learn the game, he was was one of the people teaching me, was my junior high P.E. teacher, Mr. Hoskin. Now, Mr. Hoskin was about as mild-mannered as they come, such a kind, sweet, soft-spoken guy, a great athlete, but just so mild-mannered. And now he was retired, and he was probably pushing 70 years old. And without getting into all of the details, suffice it to say, I was not understanding all the rules. Mr. Hoskin was my partner, and we were playing two of his friends, two other old retired guys, and and this was like the highlight of their week, like playing this game is what they live for. And I just kept playing my way, my, my cards in, in such a way that, that I kept hurting our chances of winning, big time. And there was absolutely no table talk allowed in, in this game. This, this was serious business with these guys. But I was just trying to play my cards. And I could feel the tension start to, to rise around the table. And when, whenever I would make a, a, a wrong play, I could see Mr. Hoskin, he'd start kind of shifting his, in his seat or he'd start grabbing, grabbing his, his uh, chin because Mr. Hoskin, as mild-mannered as he is, is also very, very competitive. Well, finally, he couldn't take it any longer. And on one of my wrong plays, he just said, "'I just don't understand what you don't understand.'" Now, that hurt back then, but I think it's a classic line. I love that line. I've I've used it many times since then. I just don't understand what you don't understand. One of Jesus' closest friends, John, wrote all about this when he wrote in John 1, he, Jesus, came into the very world he created but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. You see, they didn't understand. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus came to save a world that was lost, but they didn't understand what they didn't understand, and they killed the Son of God. But here's the sobering truth for you and me here today, and this is where it gets personal, real personal. You see, we killed Jesus too. You and I were there that day too. Our sins put Jesus on the cross. We were a part of torturing him too. Every time we've fallen short, Every time we've intentionally chosen to go our own way, every time we've purposefully done something we knew was wrong, we were brutalizing the Son of God. You see, we didn't know what we were doing either. And Isaiah captures this as well in Isaiah 53. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We didn't know what we were doing. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him because somebody has to pay. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. So no matter what you think you've done or no matter what you think would be unforgivable, Jesus wants all of us to know because of his amazing sacrificial love, All can be forgiven. He has paid the price. So Jesus wants you and me to hear that from him and then once we've accepted it and embraced it, it, write this down, Jesus wants others to hear that from you and me. He wants others to hear they're forgiven from you and me. Think about all the times that that he talked about this. When he was teaching his disciples to pray, he taught them to forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Remember when he was teaching and and he said, if you're at the altar, if you're getting ready to worship God and and there you remember that somebody's upset at you, somebody, you know, there's a rift between you and somebody else, Jesus says, you go find that person and you make it right with them before you come to worship. Jesus taught, if you forgive others, your heavenly Father will forgive you. And when he was asked, Jesus, how many times are we supposed to forgive? Seven? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. Basically meaning there is no number. We're just called to forgive and to forgive and to forgive. God's mercy and grace is meant to flow through us to other people. Jesus wants forgiveness to mark our lives. He commands it because when we forgive, it proves that we understand how much we have been forgiven. Think about it this way. Think about God's mercy and grace this way. We receive it, we pivot, and we retransmit it. We receive it, we pivot, and we retransmit it. Do I have any uh, fans of the TV show Friends? Remember Ross? All right, let's do it. We receive it, pivot, and we retransmit it. You guys do it with me. We receive it, pivot, and we retransmit it. Over and over, Jesus taught those of us who call ourselves his followers to forgive. And when his moment came, Jesus wasn't just blowing smoke. He wasn't just teaching about this. No, he practiced what he preached. And when his moment came, he sealed his words with his blood. And then not too many years later, a man we all know as the Apostle Paul, who at one time was was trying to imprison and and kill Jesus' followers, had his heart so radically turned upside down by the forgiveness of God that God's love and grace was now flowing through him as he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and as he wrote things like Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. In Colossians 3.13, Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So it's not too hard to know where I'm going with this, right? So please hear my heart with what I'm about to to share. Better yet, please hear the heart of your heavenly Father. At Golgotha, all of us lost the right to refuse to forgive. I'm going to say that again. At Golgotha, all of us lost our right to refuse to forgive. You see, when Jesus decided to die for you, the Heavenly Father already knew all about you. He knew about the times you would make Him promises and not follow through. He knew about the times you'd fall asleep talking to Him. He knew about the periods of your life when you would completely ignore His word. He knew about the times you would do what's wrong even though you knew what it was to do right. He knew about the times you would beg Him to bail you out. And then as soon as he did, you just kind of forgot about him again. He knew about, this one's complicated. He knew about the times you would misuse your money, the money he gave you to pay for entertainment, to watch sin that his son would have to die for. He knew all about that. He knew about the times you and I would purposefully lie, cheat, gossip, steal, manipulate, lust, He knew about our anger and our jealousy and our judgmentalness and our hatred and our ungratefulness and our addictions and our laziness and and our abusiveness and, and selfishness. And because the heavenly Father is holy and just, someone had to pay. And Jesus stepped in and said with urgency, Father, leave them alone. I'll pay. I'll pay. And Jesus took the brutality of our punishment knowing exactly what you and I would be like and he did it anyway. So here at Golgotha, all of us lost our right to refuse to forgive. And when we start to say, but, but you don't know how much how much she hurt me, or you don't know what he did to me. And you're right, I don't know. And listen, I am not minimizing any of the pain that you've gone through. The pain is real. And you're right, I don't know. But your heavenly Father does. And let me just say that forgiveness and trust are not the same thing we've we've said that for years from this stage forgiveness and trust are not the same thing forgiveness is given and that's what god asks asks us to do commands us to do trust is earned and it may take years for trust to be regained and and it's possible it will never happen but at golgotha you lost your right to refuse to forgive and i lost my right because of what Jesus Christ did for us. So as all of this just kind of settles over us today, some of you may be here today and and you have never fully grasped what Jesus did for you on the cross. And I just want you to know he did it for you. Personally, he did it for you. And no matter what you think you've done, no matter what you think is too big or or so bad, or, or you would say, Gary, if you only knew, there's no way God could forgive me. But you see, Jesus, the Son of God, knew exactly what you were going to do. So whatever it is or whatever those things are that you're you're thinking about, Jesus knew exactly what you were going to do. And he told his father, leave him alone. Leave her alone. Condemn me. And he took the brutality of your punishment, demonstrating just how real the consequences of our sins are before a holy God but he did it because he loves you and he did it willingly. And now he just wants you to know the price has been been paid. All can be forgiven. And today, his offer of forgiveness is real. And you can accept it. You can believe it. You You can receive it and embrace it. And in the same way, our heavenly Father says to you and me, I want that same forgiveness and grace that you receive to flow through to others, to receive it, to pivot, and then to retransmit it. And I know God has been speaking to some of you here today. And you might be thinking, but Gary, you don't know what they've done to me. And you're right, but your heavenly father again says, but I do, but they hurt me. She lied about me, they, they abandoned me, he mistreated me. And your heavenly father says, I understand. They did that to my son too. But I'm just asking you to forgive them, I'll, I'll, I'll help you but they don't deserve to be forgiven. And your loving Heavenly Father gently says, neither do you. And He just wants your heart to be set free. Because when we choose to forgive, it proves that we understand how much we have been forgiven. Would you pray with me? And Heavenly Father, there may be some in this room right now that for the very first time are, are recognizing that their sin is what put Jesus on the cross. So, Heavenly Father, please speak to them. And if that's you here today and, and somehow in, in your heart and in, in, the, in the depths of who you are, something is rising up that just says, I believe. I believe that my sin separated me from God. I, I believe that, that I was a part of, of brutalizing the Son of God, Jesus. Jesus but I want to be forgiven and with all that I've been hearing today I believe so in your own words I would just encourage you talk to God tell him that you are so sorry for living your life apart from him and going in your own direction you didn't know but now you do and in your own words just say Father forgive me Thank you that Jesus paid the price for me. And you just invite him to come into your life and then just tell him, I want to live my life for you now out of all that you've done for me. And Father, for any that are praying that prayer right now, thank you that Jesus not only died for our sins, but you brought him back to life so he is alive forevermore we can know Him and experience His presence in our life today. So Father, I pray for any coming to you for the very first time, they would begin to experience the living Savior in their life. For others of you here today, maybe as I was talking about forgiving others, just something began to to freeze inside of you or to tense up. and Maybe you even felt your fists beginning to close, whether they closed physically or in your mind, your fists were closing. But you know God's been speaking to you. And you know the pain that you've been causing yourself by holding on to unforgiveness. Because all unforgiveness does is, is keep the hurt Fresh and present and ongoing. And today you're ready. Today you're ready to let go. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, if if that's you, if if you know God is asking you to do it and you and you're ready, I just want you to take both of your fists right on your lap, just just make a make fists, symbolizing that you've been holding on far too long. And when you're ready, just open up your hands and say, God, I release it. I forgive her. I forgive him. They don't deserve it, but I don't deserve your forgiveness either. And forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving person to another. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your incredible love. And I thank you for your Son, Jesus, who came into this world to forgive us. We were the ones that deserved to be on the cross, we were the ones that deserved punishment. But Jesus said, leave them alone. God, what amazing love. We love you. Thank you. And we pray it all in Jesus' name.